from the crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a what's it Tuesday night in the East Village, in a very foreign studio. I'm in somebody else's apartment. I brought my gear. I uh, sort of forced this podcast upon my guests tonight. I'm very excited for this. I've met up with this man many times in the city to talk about Bitcoin, his experiences uh, with uh, consulting at a big four company for blockchain projects, uh, what he's learned. And uh, actually, most interestingly, what you freaks will find, uh, excuse me, what you freaks will find most interesting is that this man is actually also the founder of Bills.com. the popular uh, Canadian company that Francis Paulette is now the head of. I'd like to introduce you freaks to Eric Spano. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Welcome to the pod, man. Thank you for having me. Almost forcibly, but... Yeah, did I force this on you? No, no, it's been a long time coming. I know, we've been meeting up for what, two years now? A year and a uh, half? I think I think last I think last February. Last February, uh, a year now? Was when, was when uh, Francis put us in touch, so it's been been over a year now. Been over a year. Last time I saw you was over the summer. We were sweating at the Commodore over some fried chicken. Yep. Profusively yep. sweating. I'm sorry. That was and thinking of what we would do for a podcast episode, so yeah. glad that it finally happened. It's all coming to fruition. Um, Which reminds me, actually, I have a book that I wanted to lend you when we were chatting about it, uh, and I have it here now. I can give it to you. What book is that? Uh, Cryptonomicon. Cryptonomicon. Yeah. Is it sci-fi? It is. Yeah. Neil Stevenson. Yeah, I've been told. One. I've been told I need to read some more sci-fi, specifically Stevenson. It's the only sci-fi book I've read. So. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the best starting point, but <laughs> I highly recommend it. All right. Well, I can't wait to take that home and rip into it. Let's rip into your tale, man. You've gotten an interesting one. Not many people know about you, but you started... Uh, it, I guess under the radar, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So you started one of the... Uh, probably one of the, like the most useful companies in the space right now, Bills. So for you freaks out there who don't know, uh, why don't you... For the freaks out there that don't know, why don't you tell us the story of Bills, why you started it, how you handed it off to Francis, and how you ended up at the big four. Yeah. Uh, so I guess... For those who don't know, Bills is a bill payment service for Bitcoin. Uh, you can pay pretty much all of your bills uh, just by making a Bitcoin transaction, and I believe also Lightning uh, transaction now. Um, and this is only for Canadians. Before you get super excited, uh, but uh, this was this was my first foray into Bitcoin. It was my first uh, first real project. I quit my job to start this company. Wow, it was probably 2015? 2015? 2014, yeah, 2014. Almost five years ago? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was really, it all stemmed from the fact that when I would talk to people about Bitcoin, the the first question was, well, what can you do with it? Like, why do you even want to have some? Uh, And the, the jokes around buying drugs were prevalent at the time. So I was like, well, there's a lot more you could do with it. There's just like, you just need to think about it and make it happen. So I decided to leverage some relationships with uh, payment processors that I knew and just started buying people's Bitcoins and paying their bills. <laughs> so <laughs> I had a ready-made answer to that question, which was, well, you could do anything with Bitcoin. Just pay your credit card, pay your electricity, which is handy if you're mining, uh, or pay whatever, your cell phone bill. Like, we basically could pay anything. So it gave me a, a useful answer to that question, which was uh, which was good. So that was really the main driving factor behind it. You just want to say, all right, fuck it. I can't take it anymore. I'm going to build a use case that I can show people. P- 
pretty much. And I mean, it emphasized the fact that there really was not many use cases beyond, well, let me give you a, do you understand anything about money? <laughs> it's usually the, the follow-up question to that, um, which, I mean, didn't have the best success rate. So Still doesn't. Practical. No. <laughs> Still doesn't. If you have to ask the question, chances are good that the answer is going to be no anyways. Yeah. Um, that question starts a long journey, people. Be, be careful. Be careful. Definitely. But there are other there are other ways to preempt that. So I think giving, really making Bitcoin more useful was the was the objective was to kind of say I'm not going to sell people on Bitcoin because uh, that's it's it's there's better ways to spend your energy. Not that that's not a, a useful way, but uh, it was frustrating at the time, as you probably could imagine, uh, in 2014 when. I don't know. Liking Bitcoin was uh, a good way to ostracize yourself or so it was. Uh, make people uncomfortable when they start talking to you. <laughs> Especially if you're bringing it up to portfolio managers and weekly meetings. Or anyone that like remotely works, even bank tellers. Like, oh my God. What are you, <laughs> are you just Bitcoin? Like, what are you doing? So what, uh, what drove, before you got to bills, like what drove you towards Bitcoin? Like, um, anything morbid, philosophically? Morbid curiosity. I admittedly didn't have any real economics background uh studied accounting but like the prerequisite economics courses for that are like you could online multiple choice thing i didn't really learn anything um but a friend of mine had told me like hey there's there's a site people are buying drugs on the internet and i was like how are they paying for that <laughs> like how does that work you're mailing cash it's like no like some something it's a bitcoin thing so i was just mystified like how is this a thing like how can you possibly like i got i had my paypal account blocked for like buying a webcam on ebay because it was from i was buying from canada and it was like international transaction so like how the hell could people be doing this and then so goes the story and go down the rabbit hole when you realize like oh wait yeah they actually you can do that like it it, it works oh then you start to dig deeper around like how does this work why does this have any value and then that's i think when i started to realize i have a lot to learn that has nothing to do with with bitcoin yeah and so what was like the most important thing you had to understand first do you think uh definitely the uh rewiring of what i understood about economics how did you understand economics before you found bitcoin i didn't i mean when you think about well i mean because if you think about it, the the fundamental question about money is always, well, can't can't can you just print more of it? It's like what stops? Like, I remember having a conversation with my parents when I first started learning about Bitcoin, and I was just picking their brains and like, well, yeah, like, do you know how Canadian dollar works? I'm like, no. Can the government just print it? I'm like, I guess, yeah, whenever they want. And they're like, well, what the fuck? Like, how does what? Like, you just like what? print more. So then, then you start to understand like how modern central banks work and how the supply of money is created. And then, then if you are approaching that with an open mind and trying to learn objectively, you realize like this is a pretty big scam. Like <laughs> this is pretty fucked up. The answer to that question is yes. Like they can just print more. I mean, under the guise of like we're gonna sell, we're gonna sell bonds and then get this money. But like really, like you're just you're just printing it. So then what's the antithesis of that? And like, why do you want that? Why is that good? And then that's when I really started to appreciate like the longer term vision of Bitcoin. Cause it's like, I don't have any reason to care for this. Like I, Canadian banks are convenient. I mean, can send money easily. Like I've never really had major issues. Um, but when you really start to think about it and then you get down to the, the details of, 
well, think about saving money or like working to earn money. You would want to work, save as much as you can and like. Sorry. Music. Yeah, I think we turn it just a tad. I'm sorry. No, that's cool. Wasn't sure. I, thought, I don't know if I had something on me. No, or... no. So we have music on in the background. I want to keep it at a level at the mics. Do not pick it up because if Apple flags this, we will lose this incredible conversation forever. Damn. Yeah. Got to play like weird instrumental music then. Yeah, true. I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, it's cool. I think what I was saying is around once you once once I wrap my head around how money came to be and like what drove that, then it comes down to well, money drives most of your decisions. I mean, it's, dictates kind of what you'll study or what you want to do as a job. So it's like when you think about saving money, then you start to realize well, you're kind of disincentivized to save generally because I mean. Putting your mat- money under your mattress is useless because in ten years, twenty years, it's going to be worth nothing essentially. So you have to, now you, you you have to invest, which is already like why? That's like I, I just I can't like you're finally you grow up and you start earning money and it's like it's a bad idea to keep this and not do anything with it. Right. And like what's one percent interest in a savings account? Like if you have to like if it's gonna sit there and like does does that even outpace like the the like official inflation rate? Like no, probably. the targeted inflation rate is usually around two percent. Yeah. So it's like then you realize the whole the whole notion of what we think about money and, and, and economics is like you shouldn't save, you should spend and consume now and money's gonna be worth less later. So I I, I just I was I was very curious about the polar opposite of that, which is, well, no, wait, <laughs> money doesn't do that. You you are incentivized to save and be conspicuous. And that has a ripple effect through like everything that you decide as like an individual and companies that do shit. Like we wouldn't have Apple as we know it if they'd like, they, why would they cripple phones if like no one was buying them anyways? Like they'd incentivize you to keep them. But here we are. There's like, I'm, I'm luck- we're lucky we're on a one-year release cycle for phones, right. and not less than that. Planned obsolescence, big, uh, big issue for me. G- really grinds my gears. I mean, yeah. Be- yeah, it's a, it's again, it's one of those like. I, I don't know if I've talked s- about this story on this podcast yet, but in Chicago, when I lived in Chicago in particular, it was like it's pretty well known in the city of Chicago that uh, the roads are piss poor, but even more like underground known is that the the roads are piss poor for a reason because they use low-grade gravel so like after you have a harsh winter with a bunch of snow a bunch of bad weather a bunch of like salt like on the roads like there's gonna be a shit ton of potholes so they intentionally use like a medium grade like gravel to repave the road knowing that that grade will produce potholes which will in turn produce jobs the next spring the recurring supply of people filling up potholes right Although legitimately, I have, to, I have to ask you, how efficient or quickly are they at patching them up? Do you end up like driving no, through a no? They're not war efficient zone? at all. Yeah, you have to drive through a war zone. Yeah, Philadelphia has the same problem. Yeah, no, you're just giving me bad flashbacks to Montreal, where it's like rampant too, and they use salt instead of sands for some reason, so it also just fucks up your car and your clothes and everything. Right. Yeah. Your dog's feet. But again, why use the higher quality asphalt and not come back next year? Right. They're gonna have more money to spend on whatever it is that we're doing. So it's uh, so it kind of ripples into everything that you wouldn't immediately realize, and then that's when you start to, or at least that's that's when I really started to kind of get it, and then wanted to explore the technology that enabled it, and kind of went down the the proverbial rabbit hole. But 
then I started to feel like the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when he's got like his conspiracy theory shit on the wall. Charlie. And, yeah. Like, Pepe Sylvia. Pepe Sylvia. That is, that is who I felt like I was becoming uh, because again, like it's not like dinner, like conversation where like, hey, so let's talk about like the monetary order of the world and, and, and how <laughs> everything is skewed against us and be like, okay, man. <laughs> All right, man. Take a fucking chill pill. <laughs> smoke your bowl in the corner. Get out of here. Yeah. It, it, but that's... <laughs> Exactly, and you get like discredited off the bat for having an opinion. Exactly. So, Don't talk about it. Don't bring it up. Oh no, you're just not allowed internalize to internalize that. <laughs> so it's it. been great meeting people throughout the years that you don't. You don't have to. You don't have to explain yourself. Instead, they may actually start to bring up things that you didn't think about or other aspects of this. So it's like my opinions today have been formed and shaped by so many different interactions with different people that like it's yeah. It's been a, it's been quite a ride so far. Let's dive more into that. What do you mean by that? Like how so how often are these interactions happen? I mean, so when I when I really started to get interested to Bitcoin, I was starting my career as as an accountant, uh, which is I guess again the polar opposite of a lot of the things that I was exploring, uh, just in terms of what would lead you to that. Um, and so the more I learned and the more I met, started going to some conferences to see like who's building stuff out there, what's going on, um, and meeting. I remember going to, in San Jose, I'm with my brother. Uh, was, this was probably after the first like meaningful rise in price of Bitcoin in, in, in my entire history of holding on to it, and it broke $100 US. We were like, holy shit, like, what's going on? <laughs> like, how did this happen? So I was like, let's go, to, let's go to California. The Bitcoin Foundation's having this like conference in San Jose or something. This was definitely in early 2014 at some point, or... In Holy that, shit. and that was fun. I met the Winklevoss twins when they were still working with BitInstant. Took a picture at them, like twice my height, which was <laughs> which was which was fun. But being being out there and and just kind of for the first time outside of Montreal, seeing like people from around the world, all kind of get it and are doing a bunch of cool shit to to in a variety of ways I never imagined before. Was like it's like I got to do this. Like I can't go back. I can't go back to work right? and and. I don't even know what I'd be doing. Like I gotta want to be part of this. Um, so that that was that was again where my my perspective of what Bitcoin P was shaped there. I mean, people then started bringing in aspects of like, well, think about war and think about all of that. Like, if you aren't in control of printing money, how can you buy all of these weapons and things? So I don't remember what group it was that was there, but there were like a super anti-war group that was supportive of Bitcoin at this conference. And then that's when I was like, I was thinking about this way too like micro around like money and just like mm -hmm. making more of it or spending less. Um, and that's, I was kind of hooked. I knew I had to contribute somehow, which then led to trying to learn how to <laughs> run a software project <laughs> with bills and just traveling around to conferences and talking to people was uh, learned. It was the best investment of time, although it was the worst investment of Bitcoins. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that? I mean, that- you What never, lessons did you learn running this business? I don't spend bitcoins to make bitcoins <laughs> basically really? i mean uh it was it was i tried to create something where i would be able to earn bitcoin over time uh through fees or whatever which is why it's important to like not just uh accept bitcoin and convert it to dollars right away i wanted to have some mechanism to actually keep some and hold it but started the business um i guess near the peak of when was it? Uh, January 2015. So I think peak of that big run up after the Senate hearings and stuff. So from when I launched it until I, and a year later, it was just a constant price decline, <laughs> mm -hmm. which was then constant reinvestment of, of more Bitcoin, 
which uh, again, in hindsight, you stop and say, well, maybe I should have just not done anything and sat, sat on everything, but I still don't think I could have ever done that because that's, that, that's pretty fucking boring, first of all. That and I don't know, man. I think what you build is... It, it's obviously still around and it it's is be- so let's still talk around, about it. let's talk about growing. like what happened like like before we talk about what happened though like i, I want to sit here and reassure you that uh what you built will have a lasting effect and is having a lasting effect it may be worth more than the bitcoin that you spent i i'd like to think so but i appreciate that yeah um so yeah bill bills was like i said it was the f- Fuck you to people who are trying to, to be like, Bitcoin's not used for anything. Like, literally use it for whatever I want. Um, but that's why I wanted to start. It doesn't mean I was qualified to to do that or in any position to actually successfully run a, a business like that. I'd never built software before. And just like maybe GeoCities websites, but yeah, never built anything or knew how. So learned a lot about working with developers, Uh how to work with them, how to identify them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was a big learning experience. Wasted a lot of what? time and money building something that wasn't even really that like technologically like well designed or useful. What do you mean by that? I mean, I didn't know the first thing about software development. I knew what I wanted my business to do, <laughs> which I needed a, a nice, elegant way to buy bitcoins and pay bills. So I mean, I didn't think about. I did. I just jumped into it, started mocking up what I thought things would look like and was inspired by sites that I was using. And then basically just went to a designer and said, try to make this look nicer. And went to a couple of developers and said, let's sit down for an hour. I need to talk to you about what I need this to do. I'm like, that was it. <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't start reading books about software development. I was just very practical about it. I was like, all right, like they know what they're doing. He knows what he's doing. Like, I know what I would like this thing to do. So it was, hey, here's the requirements how long do you think it's going to take? How much will it cost? Boom. No concept of like, did you talk to anyone who might use this thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you get any feedback at all about how this would probably work? It was just like, nah, build it. Build all of it as much as you can possibly build for like this much and in this time. And like six months later, the product was delivered. And <laughs> <laughs> no real plan of continuously maintaining it really. I just didn't, I, I just didn't really know and was focused on learning more building uh better relationships with people in the community and like i was busy probably wasn't focusing my effort on what i should have so from a software development perspective learned a lot of i mean lessons that would have been easier to learn just reading a couple good books although i think the books that i've appreciated the most didn't exist back then oh really i don't think if it did i don't feel like an asshole now but i think lean startup wasn't when did eric put that came out like 2014 okay so maybe it was like I did a I did a something. I did a digital design boot camp the summer 2014 based around the lean startup model. Okay, and I'm sure it's existed before that. I mean, the big caveat here is I'm a I'm a I'm an accountant by studying and background. Like I had no concept of of this type of stuff. So in hindsight Wait. now, I feel like oh, it's obvious. But. Yeah. Before we go forward, I must uh, must admit, love the King Cruel you just had on. You may be an accountant, but you have an incredible eclectic taste in music. Oh, I appreciate Huge that. Huge King Cruel fan. Uh, yeah. Big fan of the guy from Glasgow. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I mean that's the one thing we're going to get into as this podcast goes on. We're we're both UX nerds. In particular, I want to talk about what I wrote about in the bent earlier this week because yeah. this is basically what our conversations over the last year have been revolved around is ux and creating these nielsen principles for for 
Bitcoin exchanges, wallets, and block explorers and companies beyond. I guess anything that you're interacting with that hasn't existed before, which is everything in this in this space, it's all kind of net new type of interactions, really. Yeah. So how should we structure this? Should we keep going on the story of how you handed off to Francis and then your yeah. your path down? I think that segues nicely into all of this stuff. Yeah. Because uh, there's not that much interesting things in between. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think to kind of summarize what we were talking about, learned a lot about software development by making every possible like amateur mistake, uh, which was, I mean, in hindsight, you, you figure it out eventually. So it was, it was, it was good to have gone through that and got the experience, but uh, from a product perspective, uh, bills in its first version was, um, I'm happy people used it <laughs> and, and put through the, the, the painful challenges of using it and the very manual nature of some elements. So um, learned a lot from that perspective. Learned a lot about running a business as well. Traveled to a lot of conferences, um, which was good networking, but services only available in Canada. There's not that many Canadians at these conferences all around the world. So cool, cool to network, cool to meet a lot of people that I looked up to. Uh, met Mike Hearn, again, looked up to. Uh, it past, past tense. I mm -hmm. met him at a conference, which was cool. He was the first person that I heard about smart contracts about uh, in one of his YouTube videos. So, like, it was just surreal to be spending the year building something that people were using and meeting people with similar interests. And beyond that, like, a whole, like I said, traveling. It's first time I traveled to Europe, first time I traveled to South America. Right. Being in these places and meeting people united by this, like, random seemingly common interest made me i it was just it was a very great um uh, i guess growing experience uh at the time that i needed from taking a year off of work um but then i also quickly realized well price of bitcoin has been dropping steadily every month <laughs> that the whole year this has been <laughs> running um it's expensive to maintain software you can't just build it yeah just, yeah you gotta you can't yeah you don't want to get held uh ransom by a hacker or something right um, so, so having that, like that's a expensive. ad ops or not ad ops, excuse me, yeah, DevOps um, is important. Like it's important lesson learned, like how to set up yeah. a server, all that shit. Like. Exactly. And then, so it's like, you got to cut your losses. And I, I had, I was, I, I feared, I became what I feared, which was like the ideas guy. I couldn't build anything I needed to build. I couldn't fund anything I needed to build anymore. I was just like, hey guys, like it'd be really cool if someone could do this and if someone would pay them to do that. So I, I was like, you know what? I need to I need to figure out something and come back to bring a bit more to the table to this space. So I was like, fuck it, let me just finish school, be a CPA, and then people will take my ideas more seriously maybe. Like I didn't know, but it, it seemed like the right thing to do. Um, and so Francis, who... I'd worked with out of the Bitcoin embassy for over a year, even before I started bills had been running brokerage business and like very much a visionary um, and someone who I, who I looked to, to like figure out like, okay, I understand this, but like what's next? Like, where are we looking towards? Um, and so he, he was, he just continued, he, he, he continued to run it and had actual like real team of engineers and knew what the fuck they were doing to continue to build it. And I mean, here we are all these years later and there's more people using it. Um, it's become part of an even bigger initiative that he's pulling off. So in the end, like I said, it was, it was a very good learning experience and grown, moved on from then, but it's still around and it's still been pretty useful for a lot of people. Right. I guess so. How's yeah. that feel? It's cool. I haven't really thought about that. Um, I'm telling you, man, yeah. I'm telling right. you, like you just by trying to prove a use case that you could use in an argument, you may have 
put a ball in motion that is still gaining momentum and it's one of the it was the first snowflake of many to fall on what could be a tipping point of an avalanche of useful products uh built on top of bitcoin but very very eloquently put ah. that was uh I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that it was not kind of a waste of time and money, and I haven't really felt that. Um, like I said, it's, it was cool, um, but that's nothing. That's like a basic use case. That's like table stakes. Like you gotta, you got to be able to do that, and I'm glad that I feel that way now because at the time it seemed like the most useful thing, but now it's like we're, we're, we're on another level of, of what's possible, and Bitcoin is still around. It's right. not like, yeah, it's not like it, I was like, oh, we'll see, hopefully it's still, everything's still going on. Like there's more and more to, to be excited about to start working on. So I'm glad that I took some time away to learn other shit uh, and come back to it with a fresh pair of eyes because uh, it's just been growing like like I could never have pictured. Yeah. And before we talk about uh, how far Bitcoin has come, let's talk about the dark side of quote unquote blockchain and what you've experienced over the last year since you left bills yeah. and got your CPA and entered uh, the world of big four consulting slash accounting. Yeah. The, the blockchain, not Bitcoin crew. <laughs> yeah. You've seen both sides, dude. You, you, you're like Jesus going to hell for 40 days and traveling around. If only, if only it was 40 days. <laughs> uh, although I, I will, I will admit the, the, uh, the the thought provoking statement of, of blockchain not bitcoin um didn't make sense at first and then i couldn't really refute it until i actually went went and explored what that even meant and how all that how what that could even possibly like lead to um so i will i will admit i wasn't always as um skeptical or, or cynical about it um there was a, a, a point in time when I, th- I was like holy shit i i feel like i'm learning about bitcoin again but that's also because i lack knowledge about a lot of other things <laughs> when i felt that way uh namely sql databases mm-hmm. which if i had learned about prior to learning about bitcoin a probably would have understood it technically a bit faster but then b would never really have explored or thought about the the notion of smart contracts in any meaningful way so oh. i really wish i just listened to people that's the thing no one was really talking about now i guess the joke is around like well use a database but like that wasn't really like a thing that 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 again, blockchain is the new database or, dude well it's uh, i guess so whatever <laughs> whatever what, what commercial is that from <laughs> ibm probably oh god yeah, yeah. saw some Your ibm hot chocolate like blockchain hot chocolate or some shit they're doing in williamsburg a while back uh I don't know what's worse, like seeing that and cringing or then having people be like, hey, did you see the blockchain coffee? Dude, it's going to work, man. Not ironically. Like, ah, yeah. <sighs> so, I mean, yeah, at, at a point it, it seemed like it could make sense, but then I learned about other technolo- technology primitives and realized like, okay, I still don't get it. <laughs> so what was it like on the front lines of consulting? Like what were the ideas that were being thrown at you? Uh, sort of the specs of products that that these companies wanted to build on the blockchain and, and how did you approach sort of helping these companies and people within these companies more precisely sort of come to understand uh, were you like were any of these people able to see any of these people I'm sorry any of uh, these companies able like to see the light on maybe this isn't the most efficient way were you even able to give them that opportunity to realize that or I don't think I don't think many people ask that question 
and I guess this is also the same for most new technologies. And I think uh, the most similar parallel draws with AI. Like I know yeah. the blockchain stuff bothers a lot of uh, bothers a lot of people who understand and appreciate Bitcoin. But I can only imagine how like data scientists feel about all the ways people talk about AI. Really? Yeah, like that just seems like that just seems like people are more off base and like don't understand what's happening than even with the blockchain and crypto stuff. And this is now after starting to understand a bit more about artificial intelligence. It's like, yeah, the same way I cringe about blockchain coffee is like I could only imagine how people who really appreciate data feeling like, well, this isn't AI. This is like a like a if then if like, then function, like, right? Yeah. That's what AI is. <sighs> I mean, <laughs> that's what like when I worked at the the managed futures fund, like part of our. I mean, we were an index fund, so we indexed a bunch of other hedge funds that were trading, and they had obviously had quants. They were writing algorithms, and they would try to like explain them as like AI, like smart, like pro algorithms. They were like, no, like you're literally writing if and functions. If the price hits this point and the volumes at this point, like put a buy order in for this amount. Yeah, it's, it's autonomously <laughs> making decisions. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that aside, I just feel for anyone who's super into uh, anything related to machine learning or artificial intelligence and what you must have to endure. Um, But I guess the good context for blockchain development is that, um, like at the time when I would talk to people about Bitcoin, uh, would get, and this is like an educated like group of peers, you'd, you'd always get the like, oh, like, sounds like a sounds like a scam or it's not gonna be worth anything like there was no real legitimate discourse it was just like a lot of skepticism and then so when i moved to new york and started working in the consulting side and we would talk about bitcoin it went from like oh yeah it seems like a scam or something shady you won't make money to like oh yeah but have you heard about like this this coin or, or this thing or like all this other shit like bitcoin is boring and it's like uh oh hey dude you're but, not on nano yet get <laughs> the neighbors hammering something into the wall uh, I've been on the other side of that one before, so I get it. It'll happen. Oh, uh, dude, our bed frame, or not our bed frame, our uh, headboard to our bed is, like, loosely attached, and it, like, bangs against the wall, and I have the worst, like, secondhand embarrassment for myself that my neighbors just fucking hate me. Yeah, maybe. It's maybe they've I, gotten used to the sound amongst the sirens and other noise that's going Yeah, that's around. true. There's a lot of uh, white noise in the background. Yeah, I mean, I've... I've put shit on the wall at like 11 p.m. So this guy's still that's, still ahead of the game. That's sick. Yeah. That's sick. That's fucked up, dude. I mean, can't wait till the morning? Could be passive aggressive with some neighbors who stomp really loud. Uh, okay. If you're being it passive aggressive, I can get on, that. I can get on board with that. It evens out. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're... Yeah, so the, the, vibe of, the vibe of what people reacted to Bitcoin was from like when I first started uh, working to like the last couple of years shifted from like skepticism to like, Ah, this is boring. Like there was never this period where people were like, "Oh no, like this is cool." So that and the reason for that was people were like, "Money, like money is not the use case we want to focus on." Like, how do you? You can't like you can't do that. Like no one wants <laughs> people. You, like how are you gonna like any use case you have? Like how are you? You can need to settle it in dollars. Like why money? Like imagine you had Bitcoin, but it wasn't Bitcoin. Like it was in dollars. And now we have that. So, so we're on a stablecoin cool. kick. Yeah, that was front running the stablecoin kick. Well, that like, was the that was the whole like that's the disadvantage of Bitcoin. Is so, the value so volatile? So what what is the profile of your typical clientele? Uh, it's it 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 varies. I mean, if you think about the way blockchain is being positioned, 
you have to have a blockchain strategy. Like whether you're a, a, a small company or a massive company or you're in, uh, a, a, I don't know, you're in consumer goods or you're in financial services, like everyone needs to think about blockchain. So there's like... Are, do they need are, to or are they being forced to? Just they via. feel, I think it comes out of a place of you don't know what you don't know, so you need to kind of you need to explore. We need to you need to test it out, do a proof of concept to to see what it is, to see if it'll actually impact us. Because all these newspapers and websites are saying it's the next like internet. So, I mean, if you put yourself in the in the shoes of someone who never heard of this stuff before, like you can't, ign- I guess you can't ignore it. Um, mm-hmm. So everyone is curious about it. So the question comes to like, well, what are people building? So what are your what are your use cases or what's your value proposition of a of a of a blockchain? Not like Bitcoin blockchain, but just a blockchain. I mean, it's if someone would answer that, they would give you all of the the benefits and uh, I guess value prop about Bitcoin. Well, it's it's immutable. Um, it's uh, like it, it's it's super secure and can't be tampered with. It transfers value like uh, in uh, automatically or like without. Uh, it's like programmable, like so. It's all these things, and it's like, well, no, the, the none of the no enterprise blockchain is immutable, in any definition of what immutable could be. Like, you're running a like a private implementation of Ethereum, like <laughs> that is even possibly like less immutable than yeah. Than, than JP Ethereum. Morgan coins about to take over, bro. I mean, it, it probably will. People will buy it and be like, hey. <laughs> will they even buy it, though? How will they even access it? That's I mean, I'm... so from what I understand about uh, JPM coin, which might actually be a reasonable use case for what they're trying to do, is if you hold it, then you don't need to actually, like, settle a transaction and get paid out. Like, you could just, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a credit, like a, it's like an IOU. How's it any different than, like, what their digital ledger entries are right now? Thanks. It's on their blockchain. What is and their blo- who has access to their blockchain? Can I download their blockchain source code and slightly run up my own node? Permission than the regular infosec type of process. I mean, so here's the questions that nobody asks, man. Like that's the that's the thing. Like you, the the problem I think is that you can literally solve any problem like a, a modern business would face and incorporate a blockchain. Like you can. It's it's possible. Um, that doesn't mean that you should, and it doesn't mean that there aren't many better alternatives. But like, if someone asks you the question, "Can I record X on blockchain?" Like, you you can't say no, you cannot. And then that's that's where you get down the slippery slope, where people are just, okay, well, you can, so we should, because everyone's talking about it. But you don't really stop to think about it. Um, so this is the this is again when you're in a like an IBM is, I think, the best for this because when you're you're a publicly traded company, you got to sell. So mm-hmm. hey, they're the best blockchain marketers. I don't know if that's a good thing to be, but like they're we're talking about it here. They're bullshit coffee thing. They're they're ads everywhere. Like Tomatoes. they've made people afraid of their ignorance of what like Bitcoin and blockchain is. That they're just like okay, cool. Like I don't whatever. Like go for it. You want to put your whatever on a blockchain? Like cool. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it doesn't mean that it makes sense, but what really does it anymore? Like it, it's not surprising that it's evolved this way. Well, it's like a giant Rube Goldberg machine. Like yeah, look, we put X thing on a blockchain. Like our whole supply chain is there. This is actually it's like okay. It's actually a conversation I've been having a lot more frequently lately, and it's been the theme of this podcast. I'm sorry, freaks. I'm yeah, probably beating a very very dead horse here. No, you're not. I am. Um, but like 
society, I am becoming more and more convinced, is becoming more and more detached from reality. And I would argue that Bitcoin in particular, like you said, what matters anymore? I would argue that Bitcoin, like I like what Safedine said in the Bitcoin Center, like Bitcoin provides the only objective truths in the, not the only, I mean, we did say the only objective truth in the world, maybe the only objective truth in the world right now. And I tend to agree with that. The way mm-hmm. the incentive network, the incentive system and the stakeholders within the system interact with each other. Uh, I, I do think everybody keeps each other in check and there is some validity in the fact that Bitcoin is sort of a, a fulcrum for truth. You know, I mean, it it absolutely is. And I think that holds true because you have to opt in to to to, to believe that to be objectively true. Um, and everyone that's participating or in any capacity that's involved is believes that objective truth. If you don't, it's that's the beauty of it. Is is cool and just like leave us alone. Opt out, right? Like you don't. Yeah. And that's that's the problem I think with what you're kind of describing about reality is that people are collectively rallying around what they believe to be objective truths, but they're they're clearly not. But like, if you don't have the 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 i guess critical critical thinking or like sense of awareness to ask yourself whether like something is objectively true and you just believe it like are is that how we are like are we like you know what i mean like where do you draw that line of being self-aware enough to say that i just feel like the bar is really low for for the way that things are moving today right ah <sighs> yeah so trying to think where we want to go here i think like keep going down like this path of like what it was like consulting like what were so consulting what are the conversations with these people these people yeah not again the the people in charge of being sort of the conduit of the blockchain strategy for their company like how how did you approach trying to make them understand what this stuff can do its limitations how it might be applied and and why they did you ever say like probably don't want to do this? Uh, so, like I said, I think at the beginning I was still curious about all of this, and when my first experiences in the professional world were people being like, "Ah, Bitcoin is a scam! Like, why are you even talking about this?" People were now open-minded about this stuff. I mean, it came with the, I guess, some annoying parts of it, but generally speaking, people were curious. Like, oh well, yeah, we'd love to please talk to us for thirty minutes about Bitcoin and then how blockchain works and other these other use cases and. It was it was really cool to to really get the chance to talk to people about it and try to explain to them how it actually works. Um, and then again, everyone has their own. I guess you interpret it in different ways, and everyone has their own incentives. What they do when they learn something new. And I think while it's great to learn new things and especially try to teach people about Bitcoin and and how everything works, um, you kind of people hear what they want to hear, and that's where again, like mm-hmm. people will describe. I find at least in the whole enterprise blockchain space, people describe it as they would the main benefits of Bitcoin. And it doesn't really have those, but it's debatable, right? Because everything is kind of relative. It's like pretty secure, except if you need to erase something, like you can, because why would you want it to be really immutable? Like what if something bad happened? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what I mainly noticed though is that uh, I was excited to be in consulting after being an accountant for a while. But... Uh, it is really a lot like the show um, um, House of Lies. Yeah. Surprisingly, 
like that show. It's with Don Cheater, right? Yeah. And yeah. The, my thing from that show, I mean, it's, it's a great show. I love to watch it, but it's like, could management consulting really be like that much BS? And maybe it was because I was initially exposed to it from a blockchain lens where I was like, yeah, it probably is. But yeah, really, it, it you're not, if what you need to say is not going to necessarily lead to a massive like solution or project for your client, and this is not blockchain, this is just consulting in general, like, don't tell them that like you, 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 there's, there's obvious incentives being in those type of roles. So for me, I think of it when I used to work at, at Best Buy, like I wasn't on commission. So when someone asked me information about TV, I was straight up with them. This cheaper TV is good. Like don't buy the hundred dollar cable. Yeah. I'm not, I don't care. I'm incentivized. Now it felt a bit like I would love to sit here and talk to you about Bitcoin all day, but like what am I going to do? Like, what, I'm like, you want to buy some Bitcoin? Like, I'm going to build, I'm going to build you something. Right? So, I mean, I was quickly disinterested because then it was like, okay, well, so you want to manage your supply chain on a blockchain? Like, if you're using something with physical goods, don't really care. Because, like, someone's going to come and steal that shit. Like, you're not going to, or you can't be like, hey, I have my private the key. Blockchain's like, bring back be- my bag of whatever <laughs> the fuck you're selling. Like, yeah, so, that apple's on the blockchain. <laughs> come back with it. It's mine. They'll know. You can track it on this block explorer. Just scan that little QR code somewhere. Enter those 42 yeah, Somebody scanning it in New York City will come track you down in Texas. So I was like, fuck this. Like, uh, I didn't didn't necessarily know that was what I was going to be working on and doing. And so I, I just decided to try and find more uh, software and product-oriented roles, uh, which brought me into actually building uh, now software for accountants. So kind of full circle. But I realized to my point earlier, like I wanted just to like, I needed to learn more and I didn't feel like in consulting. And then especially like once I really started to get my head around, like what is a an, an enterprise blockchain or what is like any other blockchain that's not Bitcoin? It's kind of like, okay, like I feel stupid for being excited initially about this stuff. Like I just don't, it's, it's not, if it makes sense and you could build it, that's cool. It might save you some money somewhere, but like it's not, it's not interesting. So I needed to to move on from that. Yeah, and I think like our our paths are very similar, but like uh, the the checklist uh, was in a different order. Like, so you're learning more about like UX and product management now. Like later on in your your later on in your career, you're still young, but um, coming around to like the like the software stack and user experience is like focal points of building these products. So what's that been like, like moving away from blockchain and then learning more about like product management and UX in particular? Uh, it's, it's been fascinating. I have a, 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 a strong appreciation for something that I didn't even really know existed a while back. And what's that? Uh, just the, the amount of, I think the amount of, uh, I guess thought research strategy and like just, testing and iteration that goes into building something that's actually like great like the difference between a product and like a great product i understand that now whereas before it was just this like indescribable like this thing looks better than than the other so i have like a i understand why you need to have someone in these various roles of like ux is a role it's not a ux ui design this it's like it is a it very is imperative. Like, it is it makes the difference that it makes is shocking now that I've, I've been exposed to it. Um, and I, I, again, now I can't, it's, so let's talk about it. I can't can't imagine like 
it's it in hindsight it's obvious and again when you first hear about like design thinking and ideo especially was the like the once you hear about the d school and, and all the stuff we're doing i mean mm-hmm. they designed the they design the mouse and and all, and all this stuff like you start to realize damn like this makes sense but stuff. then like yeah of course empathize with people like no shit why why is it why is it not obvious when you're building software like and it wasn't for me like i said i didn't do that but now i hear it and it's like well yeah like where will you start if you don't talk to someone that's using it but you realize you make a lot of assumptions when you're but you think it's a good idea so you just jump in like i know this is going to work and i think becoming more interested or obsessed with the problems you're solving and not like this is the right way to do it is is one of the biggest takeaways from all of this type of uh i guess this field of of uh of knowledge yeah i think the tipping tipping point i have so many buzz fucking phrases that i use i think the point at which i had an aha moment around ux design was we watched it was actually a documentary on netflix i forget exactly what it's called but it basically described how like something as small as a toothpick can be designed where like Japanese toothpicks in particular have like a divot where you can break it and then you can rest the toothpick on it. So the tip of the toothpick doesn't get dirty on the table so you can clean your teeth with a clean toothpick, like something on a three inch piece of something that's a quarter of a centimeter thick. And you never think have, twice about it. Exactly. Like, but it has yeah. design and UX design implemented into it. And that really opened my mind to like, hey, you can design fucking anything, like a conversation, an experience at a concert. Uh, a lot of people just pigeonhole this stuff to digital experiences, but UX goes beyond. And um, yeah, I mean, I say products as if like software products are the the only thing, but obviously this 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 goes way beyond, or even before uh, we were even designing software, or even. Like yeah, like any type of interactions could be physical things, but what what I like what we mentioned about kind of learning about design is like yeah, you learn it because it's not a for some people I think it could be an innate thing or your skills or characteristics that lend yourself to it, but it's also just very much a process and a discipline of mm-hmm. making sure you just do certain things because you will learn from it. Yeah, which that was again. It's like cool. Like you can you can teach yourself this. You can you can understand. It's not just by chance. Like someone figured that out or got a made it work better it's like it's a it's a process and if you refine that process and become more comfortable with just trying to learn stuff instead of always being right like you'll be you actually have some pretty good ideas yeah and there's i mean i think this is a great segue into what we've been talking about for the last year is there's heuristics and guidelines out there that have been around for decades now it's fucking been two and a half decades and still super relevant and underutilized right so what we're talking about in particular is something i wrote about in the bent uh late last week or was it earlier this week days are blending together but i think it was late last week um yeah, because we decided to meet up last week. Uh, the Nielsen Norman Group, correct? Yep. Nielsen Norman Group in 1994 put out uh, a guy a, a ten bullet point guide of uh, user interface design heuristics that people should follow. And it's basically like, hey, if you're designing a software product where people are going to be interacting it with it via screens and clicking and blah blah blah. Like here's basically the basics of what you should provide the information you should provide to them as they're uh, using your product in a, in a digital uh, realm. Uh, you can definitely describe this far greater than I can, but I mean, that's, that's pretty spot on. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a, a, a 
10, 10 things to be mindful of when you're designing interfaces. Simple things like display this, like always have the status visible. So user knows, are they logged in or not? Is the service active or not? Is, is something happening? Should they expect it? Um, keeping language consistent. If you're gonna say sign in, then always say sign in. Don't don't change it up. Uh, not using jargon, making language simple. Like don't write like a robot. Just be conversational. Mm-hmm. And it's again things that you might take for granted with lots of experience and doing this. But it's a good set of guidelines. And when you think of it at face value, yeah, you can analyze your favorite sites or apps, and maybe not all important to you. Um, but some of them are, and they're all a lot of them lacking. Even though like web design seems to be very standardized and like homogenous type of designs everywhere, people still leave out some pretty or some pretty important elements or or have some glaring UX uh, hiccups um, in general. And then this is especially I think true in the crypto space. And I say crypto space in general because everyone and whatever coins you're using, especially whatever projects you're looking at like the more complex use cases key management is something we all struggle with and there's no guidelines or best practices there or if there are then they're secure but not usable so yeah the the thinking of through thinking through guidelines for design for web apps is cool but then when you start thinking about those guidelines and best practices for a bearer asset that you have like I've been saying this a lot in the band, but you have extreme ownership over. Like, there's a lot of stress that comes with. It. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. Yeah, it's the it's it's your it's your classic kind of Spider-Man type of scenario. Like you you have you have your bank in your wow. Pocket. I haven't heard I've it described heard. that way. I it's really a, like that. A, with great power comes great responsibility. Is is what Bitcoin is all about. But people often neglect the responsibility part because, well, well, <laughs> I, I need my keys. Like, can't call. Trezor up they don't have backup somewhere so it's it's important but then yeah like you need to be you need to balance usability not everyone you're not gonna sign all your transactions on an air gap computer somewhere yeah secure sure but that's really inconvenient and and so what I'm referring to in the bent is a Bitcoin Optex uh, initiative by Chaincode and other Players in the industry like Blockstream, Mike Schmidt from Blockstream actually wrote this particular piece on RBF replaced by fee user experience like across wallets, block explorers, and exchanges. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. how they were saw that one. How they were displaying the experience of using RBF like across the space, and it was piss poor. So like, if you're sending a replace, so to describe it, a replaced by fee transaction. Uh, is enabled via BIP 125, I believe, or 135. It's 125 or 135. I believe it's 125. Don't quote me. Possibly quote me, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Written by Peter Todd, enabled, I believe, in 2014, 2015. But uh, basically, the gist is if uh, you send a transaction during a, a time of high congestion on the network and you send it with the fee that you thought was going to get through in a reasonable amount of time, but it just so happens... Uh, fee is not high enough and is not being included in blocks. You have the opportunity to send a replace by fee transaction with a higher fee that has more likelihood to get it included in the block. And this is one whole aspect of Bitcoin that's very fascinating. We get into all together, but well, really, what the article focused on was the UX of somebody who sends an RBF fee, or excuse me, an RBF transaction, and then trying to follow what's going on with their original transaction 
what's going on with the RBF transaction and basically uh, the services across the wallets, the exchanges, and the explorers uh, sort of displaying this information as people's money was being sent through the Bitcoin network. Yeah, just hanging in the balance. Like, right? What's, what's, what's going to happen? And, it, and, it, and it, it's true. Like, you can't treat that as a regular transaction because... I mean, the stakes are a bit different, but also you need you you're you're seeking more different information than you would be if you were just checking on your balance or something, right? And so it's like there's experience around like these very situational use cases, right? And it's like thinking through that, and Bitcoin has a long way to go to like as an ecosystem, as a, a quote unquote industry, yeah, to figure this stuff out. But the I think that the we're using, I feel like using a lot of uh, platitudes in this conversation but it always captures what i'm trying to say so well but i mean the devil's in the details and if you think about bitcoin as a as a as an experiment these are the details to focus on because when you think about usability i mean there are the obvious usability gaps around like actually acquiring cryptocurrency which you could do very easily if you just accept it for something instead of trying to buy it and give some type of like DNA sample to do so. But the real usability uh, issues around replaced by fee transactions and, and all the type of things that we're seeing, even with Lightning Network and wallets, mobile wallets and stuff like... Yeah, Lightning Network, like... Uh, uh, what am I thinking of? Um, Lightning Wallet balance changes like from day to day like because you're because ch- you haven't Satoshi sent from one end of the channel to another. Yep. Like, people getting confused around that. And, and so these are these are worthwhile things to focus on. It seems super like detail oriented and like something so specific, but when you think of like the, some of, some of like other like projects or grand claims of like revolutionizing all these other types of areas or industries, it's like, we're still focused on such a narrow use case and trying to make it like better and and improve it for the unique considerations of how Bitcoin treats all this stuff. It's like, this is how the hell are we gonna seems, do this shit yeah like how i can't even think about what like the how much effort it would take to try and solve like all the other stuff when we're like yeah like i'm just trying to i'm just trying to like get this transaction to go there faster i'm like you can't really visibly do that or without even having a on. panic attack yeah so it's like th- th- this is this is what always gives me a bit of pause and kind of makes me feel more more just more optimistic in general about the evolution of, of of bitcoin is that like this is the type of shit that people are sitting around trying to like trying to figure out and and work on as opposed to like either things that are table stakes like that you should just that 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 should should uh theoretical should token on. economics and yeah shit or like, like i mean I, i've been reading i've been reading into a couple of these like uh, accounting related ico tokens and like i've honestly been kind of impressed with some of the ideas up until they find a way to throw in a token into it. And like, it's like you're trying to reinvent like the economics of something. So yeah, I mean, usability across the board is something to focus on, but I just think that the the unique usability considerations for, for Bitcoin is, is it's, it's great that these are the topics of conversations people are having and, and putting uh, thoughts out there about. Yeah. So if you were to create like a Nielsen Norman group specific guideline for Bitcoin and Bitcoin companies, particularly exchanges, block explorers and wallets, like where would you start and how can we get you working full time on that? I mean, that's basically where I'm getting at tonight is like, how can we get you working full time on this? I think the best place to start is exchanges. And that's the last place that I would want to try and work or do anything. (laughs) Uh, I mean, the the sooner we move uh, any, any, any custodial business just scares the shit out of me. 
mm-hmm. um, I mean, when when started bills, the key thing was like, I don't just well, the set, transaction settled instantly. Like you don't have a wallet. Like it's cool. Like I don't want to. I don't want to hold or have any liability like that because there's a lot to consider when you're holding other people's funds. So I think exchanges are the. I mean, usability is probably not the main focus. Uh, there's a lot of other think, operational and, and security things that should be focused. But yeah, I mean, it, exchanges have always been a somewhat scary experience for me when you make withdrawal or deposit and you're kind of like, everything is in limbo. They do a, they do a shitty job. And again, I, I'm generalizing about exchanges. I haven't used too many recently, but like, no, had, there's I've... so many scary moments where you know people have been scammed by an exchange before when doing something routine or like, the support to like my transaction hasn't showed up in three days. Like I shouldn't panic, but like <laughs> there's precedent for people not receiving money. No, I know. So, uh, <laughs> I had an instance like that. Fucking love the cash app. Been pumping it hard. They're a sponsor of this pod, but I did have an experience with the cash app where I withdrew Bitcoin to, uh, to cold storage. Like, and like, I couldn't see it on the blockchain right away. Like couldn't see that. Like the transaction was pending and had to wait until like cash. I got a cash app notification, like literally 20, 25 minutes. Like Ooh. your transaction's been confirmed on the blockchain, then saw it in my wallet. But like, couldn't see a pending or anything for like 20 minutes. Just like, ah, fuck. It's, it's and intense, I, yeah. I QR scanned it, like knew, like it was pretty much foolproof, but like, and, was and still in the like, end, you were right. But yeah. you have that moment where yeah. you're not getting any, any visibility into what's happening. Your yeah. mind goes to, to, to the worst place possible. Exactly. So exchanges just scare the the crap out of me. Um, I think from the perspective, like when I send funds there, do do is this like is this am I get like the address I sent it to? Like is that my address? Is this like a is this like my account or is it just like this massive hot wallet and like I don't know where my money is or if they have my money ultimately or my coins like. Um, there's no, so, I mean, there's some have done proof of reserves, you know, Kraken, Kraken, that. Kraken yeah. offered it, nobody used it. No. And then, and then, so this, I think, and we reached this conclusion the last time we spoke about this, like there's a ton of things exchanges could do, but like, do people care? Do people using exchanges? Like, I, I think this is the answer I've been coming around to is people care. don't know that they can care. And again, it goes back to, and that's why I've been stressing that Bitcoin is a bearer asset. Like there are different like levels of responsibility needed for bearer assets in particular like yeah i mean if you were gonna go and like leave a, a an envelope of cash and mail it to some company like <laughs> what would you what would you want to see to make sure that that was actually a legit thing right like but people don't but the concept of money has been so bastardized and so abstracted that people don't even know that they should care about this when, in, yeah. when it pertains to bitcoin they don't know that it's different they expect it to be the same yeah but then i guess are exchanges incentivized to, I guess, educate people and maybe even not hold uh, people's cryptocurrency? Like, I, I, I don't, I'm trying to think through a business model of like, if you are holding people's coins, I mean, A, that enables you to potentially, yes, uh, operate in a fractional reserve fashion and actually scam people. We'll assume that not all exchanges do that. Um, but then if you're holding people's coins, if there's forks, you don't have to necessarily give it to them if you've never specified. Most right. probably won't have a policy on that. I don't know. Right. So maybe that's one way you'd want to keep them. But like otherwise, are you are they staking people's coins? Is that a is that a thing that they uh, would do if you had Binance coins? Coinbase and who else? I know Binance and Coinbase, I can say for certain, have said that they will offer staking services in the future. 
So then there's an incentive to hold those coins. But otherwise, it just seems like such a... I mean, I guess you need to. There's where I haven't used any of these um, kind of these other exchanges or non-custodial type of services for that. So I guess you kind of have to, but it just seems like there's ways to minimize like the exposure to someone potentially like like losing your funds when you leave them on an exchange. Right. And but probably not a priority to to uh to develop. Right. And I think but I th- I'm actually very intrigued to see the uh sort of push towards uh, custodial services that use multi-sig uh, sort of solutions where you have two or three signatures, they have one, and like in a worst-case scenario, like you can have them intervene. And like you're still able to get the benefit of the, the service, but you still have full custody. True. Yeah. And I think, and this isn't I think like, this Bitco isn't... is one of those companies that has like a pretty... They've been around forever. Uh, mm-hmm. and they've got like a multi-sig set up. I know, well... Jameson Lop, yeah, worked there. Ben Davenport, yeah. So they and they've been. I mean, they've they've kind of they were the first, I think, to really put that the multi sig setup out there. It makes sense, but then now we're like, you gotta, again, that's probably best practice. I don't know all exchanges do that, um, but that would that would be useful. Uh, but I guess then the the other thing about exchanges is like, and this is where usability is one thing, but also if you think about it, like these are they're they're holding people's funds they're making their their large businesses they're facilitating a lot of trades like there's there's like no there's no concept of uh like of internal controls or of like we don't want regulation so sure but like there's there's still like there's no you have no assurance from any exchange that like they're doing a what their policies might be or that they even have posted policies like it just scares the shit out of me thinking about like how many things could go wrong in a place like that? Like dude, Quadriga in Canada, the exchange I used to do like work with like, primarily many years ago is like, really example, like how the, f- like if you believe the story, how the fuck does that happen? And then that's, if that's not what happened, like, so there's no exchanges. Just what's me. the, uh, what's the skinny on Quadriga? What are you hearing? I mean, Quadriga has always been a mystery to me because in Canada, banking for as like I guess for as for as big and uh, active the Bitcoin community is, banks really just not fan. It's very difficult, if not impossible, as a Bitcoiner, let alone a Bitcoin business, to sustain a banking relationship. Um, learned that with bills, uh, although we weren't as like uh, we're not like selling bitcoins or anything, so it's a bit easier. Um, but the banking environment very hostile towards Bitcoin companies. So when I was doing business with Quadriga, it was like one of like, I was like the fourth exchange I started using. There was one that closed down and then another one that also closed down. Like they just couldn't, it was too expensive to sustain their banking relationships. Quadriga was always around. Um, and their, their CEO, Gerald, was like your Bitcoin maverick, like constantly building new relationships with credit unions and this. So, I mean, I was happy to, to do business with them. Um, but again, like any exchange, there's like delays for withdrawals and I got a bad feeling eventually. I mean, we all know what happened with Gox and like, that's a, that's, I mean, that's a cautionary tale of just like, how did it, how did that, how did Mark Carpelli's end up with like all of this like responsibility, like no oversight, no one I got into a debate like, oh. with this. Like nobody calls out 
Jed McCaleb enough for handing Mark Capellas a steaming bag of shit. Granted, Mount Gox was not uh, as prominent as it was when Mark eventually had it fail, but Fair. it was a fucking like, yeah. He's got some, he's got mm. some, some, some blame in there. But I don't know if he realized what he was unleashing upon everybody. Yeah. <laughs> by doing that. Right. Um. But I mean, that's like the cautionary tale, and then Bitfinex is a whole whole other story. But. I as soon as like I was saying before, as soon as I started noticing like oh, and this was like this was like four years ago, I like delayed withdrawals and I was like you know what, got to try to find alternatives and 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 work around that. So eventually the just the the delays and whatever kind of turned me off from using the service. Um, I was surprised to hear that it was still actually um, in a, operation. A, a, operational uh, when 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 this all went down, but it, it kind of again comes back to like. And they were publicly traded at a point too. I remember they did like a reverse. What? Yeah, they did this weird. There's a lot of there's a lot of weird shit with Quadriga. Like they did in like 2015, they did like an RTO reverse takeover, random company that was publicly, publicly listed. Publicly traded, and they were yeah. yeah. And then they that was like they did that for a year, and they think they released like they didn't release audited statements for their their annual thing, and then they just kind of like that's why I wasn't sure they're still around because I knew that the public company wasn't active, but. Who knows what company is running it? But I guess that's how you get banking relationships. Uh, <laughs> but right? it's all to say that, like, if if the CEO of this place had, it just there's just it just doesn't make sense. But it's plausible given is the it? terrible is it plausible? OPSEC that most of these exchanges probably have. I mean, Do you I think don't at all. Like they're saying it's like two or three cold wallets, right? I it's. It's two hundred million so, dollars. It's just so. It's just. It's. It's just so. It's so crazy that it could have gotten to that point, and then so shady that like, hey, we don't have access to this cold storage. It's, it seems like. It seems like. It seems like. It seems like somebody. There's some like some exit scam happening where like somebody's been stealing from the exchange, and now it's like, oh shit, like, I don't know. What do we gotta? We gotta get out of this somehow. <laughs> but like, nothing there adds up. But the fact that they had so much people's money. And this is how they were running their shit. Like again, whether it's true or not, like the fact that it got to this is like, yeah, I think you're right. People don't know that they that that this is could even ha- like is happening. People right? are just blissfully ignorant. Well, it brings me back I, again. I hate to fucking live in the glory days when I worked at the Managed Futures Fund, but like again, since we were an index fund, a fund of funds, like we had due diligence checklists that we had to check off. Like we literally had to go physically to the manager's location look at their servers like look at their debt disaster re- like disaster recovery plan like and actually we had to put one in motion while i was working at the fund uh did it all work out according to plan it did yeah it worked out like uh, it's a sad story a very prominent managed futures fund uh or prominent cta uh liz cheval uh she was the head of EMC, I believe, a hedge fund. She just uh, passed passed away like suddenly. Oh wow! And she was the head of this fund, and they had to put in put in act their disaster relief fund, which Quadriga X obviously did not have. And yeah, like we would not, not have been we would not have been allowed to invest in EMC unless they had that relief fund, that relief path in 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 play. And so someone's sitting there like. Thank God we actually exactly. like did that. And this is the it's a it's a really good example of why it's not necessarily that regulations are important, 
but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have any like recourse any recourse any just basic like risk mitigation strategies as a business first like if you if you want to think of it in the most like capitalistic like greedy sense from shareholder perspective you don't want your business being run like that you don't give a shit about your customers or regulations you just like from a baseline shouldn't run shouldn't run stuff like that like that's just like bad form like from business risk management yeah then you get into well okay maybe you're not on that extreme maybe you do care about your customers too like again why expose them to that risk so it all is either like negligence or like willful um uh lack of having any process in place but um what kind of what you describe is like the due diligence that happens like this is what kind of eats me up a bit about um all like my experience as a as a cpa and kind of thinking about audit and stuff like that is that i've become very skeptical just because of the rampant kind of scandals and things like that that are always going on but then i look in the bitcoin space and it's like if we had even like a fraction of a percent of like just like not even talking about rules or like hoops to jump through but just like basic like operational and risk management considerations like we could have avoided so much and like it's not that hard but it takes yeah roger ver going on youtube saying mount gox is solvent is not enough due diligence he didn't sell it well enough he looked that was a that's just yeah man bitcoin exchanges are so sketchy right still to this day all of them even Coinbase, like the best, like I shit on Coinbase a lot and I have a lot of respect for Coinbase. I would argue that we would not be where we are today without Coinbase. No, I'll we say would that not. With Coinbase was one of my favorite Bitcoin websites but when I was looking at bills because they were the only one that actually could, you could buy stuff and it wasn't like send a money order to this random fucking place. Like they, they, they paved the way for the, the more like the, the next wave of adoption. So I will yeah. I won't hate on them for that. I want to, like, we can't, I mean, we can hate on Coinbase now, but, like, we cannot neglect the fact that we would not be where we are today without Coinbase. That is a full-blown fact, Mm -hmm. I would argue. Um, But along the way, like, they had Charlie as CTO launched Litecoin as their second coin on exchange. Like, what they're doing now with, like, Earn.com and, like, it's basically an A16Z portfolio consolidation company where they're they're trying to, like, consolidate their portfolio and pump everything that they thought was going to work out. Yeah, I mean, it's the almost inevitable conclusion of any VC foray into cryptocurrency. It's like, a, that's a that's a bad match. <laughs> right? See, yeah, because then you get, it's again, just this disingenuous type of uh, incentive model. and yeah. incentives for businesses. It's not, it's, it's not aligned, especially, I mean, uh, 21, that cup, that's, that's the, saddest story thing because they had such a they're oh, so well funded such a great idea such a like great head meme, start. machine payable web still makes a lot of sense in my mind and i think lightning makes it possible yeah maybe there's a timing was just off instead of right? building these usb miners could have i don't know right well not anymore but <laughs> yeah that's so i mean those, those companies all paved the way but it's just like i think we when you when you think of like regulations the knee-jerk reaction is like oh my god we don't need that and it's like i don't think we do because if you look at what regulations have brought like regulated industries it's like it's it's like it's one extreme to the other it's like we don't have any rules but now let's make like this random arbitrary body of people who don't know what they're doing make the rules it's like there's there's a middle ground where you could you could reduce the risks and not like fuck people over without having like I don't know, some like 60-year-old senator would be like, this is how the rules need to be for your th- exchange or whatever you're doing. And I think 
the solution, the perfect solution that presents sort of uh, an elixir to the problem we're, we're thinking of right now is open source software. Like you can literally create an open source GitHub page. It doesn't even have to be code. It can just be like, hey, if you're a fucking block explorer or an exchange, like you need to hit these check boxes. Like, and if you're a customer uh, using these exchanges or these block explorers or these wallets, uh, you don't need the government to come in and say, hey, these companies can't operate unless they get a license and follow these credentials as a free individual sovereign consumer. You just say, Hey, if this company does not check the boxes of this open source sort of heuristic guideline for what it, it what you should be doing if you're uh, custodying funds in a secure way or uh, storing funds in a secure way, like, you're not going to use that service. So like you don't even need the government to step in and accreditate people. You, you use open source guidelines and a checklist where you say, all right, if, if you're going to be using Bitcoin, storing Bitcoin, trading Bitcoin, whatever it may be, here's uh, basically guidelines that have been open sourced by the community, by the people that use Bitcoin and say, if you're using an exchange that doesn't check this box, this, this box, this box, and this box, you probably don't want to use it. Yeah. Like watch out or something like that. Yeah. And I think, so I think so when I think of stuff like that there's a couple of there's a couple of projects that come to mind one like older that uh it's from a an organization I actually I love the name of this organization they're they're called C4 and it's the cryptocurrency certification consortium it's a, it's blowing a good, shit up it's a good abbreviation yeah um and they came out with um they came out with like this like this guide for um exchanges around like key management and, and custody and it was from like the the method of generating your keys to like your recovery disaster recovery plan they had like the four levels and all this shit you needed to do and it's all they had it's, it's still up there on github actually i don't know I don't, I don't remember i don't remember if they've called it some what other standards it was but like it's really prescriptive and like really like the best practices you could think of and i don't know of a single exchange that like does any of that shit really um and if they do, they're not, they're certainly not putting out there like, Hey, we're like level four, like certified or, or matching this. And it's like, and these are some of the principles that, that I've looked at and was like, like uh, just like the fact that they've, that the, it, it's so end to end just around, not only like, how did you generate, like, how, do you know how the keys were generated? Like, was it done? Like what type of random number generator, like what method they were used? So it's like, it's so detailed and extensive and it seems like a no brainer, but like, again, I don't know anyone that uses it. I think it kind of comes back to maybe even incentives of like, it's a lot of work to do that. And like, mm-hmm. will customers, will more customers use it or not? Well, I think, I know. so my argument would be the first company that puts in the hard work to provide that service is going to be like, Hey, I'm an idiot. If I don't hit again, hit these check boxes, if this company is going to put in that hard work and it basically proved to me that my Bitcoin is as secure and as safe and as possible through every step of the process, I'd be an idiot as a Bitcoin investor to not use them. Yeah. And I think so that I like that because you you try to you try to lead by example and Exactly. be the the better alternative. Be so the change you want to see in the world. Instead of talking shit just, just go and do it. Yeah. Um and when I when I when I when I think down that path it makes me realize that while exchanges are probably the area that's most like fraught with the need to like just just like just do something like incrementally more to to be more safe or secure. 
I think that there's other aspects of um, of Bitcoin and how people are using it that lend themselves much better to to the to the notion of like this more open source and kind of uh, almost by design of how Bitcoin works, like enforcing certain things as well. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like exchanges are full of problems because it is literally the like the that like big draw- line in the middle between like Bitcoin and and fiat like, matrix and the other world. It's this like big, yeah, like whatever, whatever analogy you want to use, it's like place you don't really want to be or be for very long. And that's the type of thing, like I said, like, that's not where I think that there's no, there's, there's, I mean, I think Binance as an example is an exchange that, I mean, for as much, I guess, hate as I'm putting on exchanges now is like doing a lot of cool stuff, like the way their company's organized, like that's a, an outlier in this example, but generally like exchanges not really want to be, but when you think about payment networks i think about lightning or you think even just about if you're managing your own like hd wallet and you have all mm-hmm. the addresses linked like we could you could start thinking about well i mean if if, if you have if you're let's use a simple example to kind of describe what, I, what i'm thinking through but if you um, are running a business and you want to and a bitcoin business and you want to report back to your owners or shareholders if you're kind of exclusively operating in Bitcoin as an operating assumption, there's a lot of cool possibilities now because you don't need to worry about the constraints of like, oh, well, bank or this. And so if you think about it, all transactions are visible in blockchain if you have the address and you know, like you're, you're looking out for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so once transactions happen, you have all the details that are there. If you have... Um, some you design some type of I guess best practices for tagging different addresses or these open source type of standards to do that. You can have like automatically generated like reports or things about your activity that by nature of using Bitcoin transactions, like you can now function with that because, well, you know when the transactions happen. You don't have to export your history because well, all the data is sitting there. So I feel like when we move away from exchanges and you think more about these type of things it's kind of more interesting because there's just so much more possibility. We're not trying to solve like these constraints just because, Oh, well it's an exchange they're holding your funds. Like, okay, well then use a non-custodial service. But if you're then, then what do we do and what else is there? Yeah. And I think you bring up a very interesting point because ideally like in the long run, if we believe Bitcoin is going to be successful, like exchanges will become sort of obsolete in the long Cause we'll, yeah. if, if we do truly transition into a future uh, of money or whatever it, this turns out to be run on Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, like there won't need to be on ramps. It'll just be the way things work. And then, so you're thinking about, all right, you're thinking, thinking a step that, ahead that scenario. Of exactly. Like, Cause it, the other problems are too hard to solve. And, and I admittedly like from running bills, like the last thing I wanted to do after that was run any Bitcoin business that had to deal with banks. Like that was, that was it. Yeah. No matter how potentially lucrative because of fees, like I just didn't want to deal with that because most of my time was spent trying to open a bank account, um, trying to deal with payment processor, trying to deal with all of like the non-Bitcoin stuff. So I was like, all right. And when I think of things to do or opportunities, it's tempting to go down and, and start to be like, well, we could pick exchanges by doing this and this. But it, when you think about just outside of that, I mean, if you think of... You're thinking of the closed loop. Exactly. How does it work? In, how does it work in the vacuum? And and when you go down that path, it's just so much more. It's so much more interesting. So let's let's 
go down that path. So what do you what do you envision? What are you thinking about? Like what applications that maybe you haven't we haven't talked about or uh, I I, I think is, of it less from applications and more. I mean, we pitched pitched Bitcoin as this like kind of trust reduced or trust minimized machine. I won't say trustless because it's kind of it's kind of misleading. Yes, it is. <laughs> but it, it's a trust minimum. You want to reduce um, the amount of trust you need to put in like points of failure. Exactly. Across like I think as a guiding principle. Um, and so you do that at the at the monetary layer because well you have fixed supply and you've uh, the, the block rewards and it kind of it's all at least predetermined whether this is the optimal approach or not is a TBD but like no one is necessarily saying it is let's find out but the odds are that it could be whereas mm-hmm. we know others alternatives probably aren't or <laughs> we've seen that that this case so that's cool but then. Well, then what? where else can you minimize trust? Exchanges are a huge failure in that because that's like the gaping, like there's a whole bunch of trust issues. So then if we think about um, things like we're talking about key generation or even around having like multi-sig, you have to trust your key holders. Right. Maybe that's not a bad thing, but what if someone's reputation is, is staked on being a, a good like extra key holder. Yeah, like a lawyer or something. Or a lawyer, any professional. Like, or I envision like services where like there's like lawyers, key services or something like that. Yeah. Executor, executor services. If yeah, you like notaries and stuff. Exactly. Or even, even, even CPAs. It's like, look, the and I don't put too much emphasis on those type of roles because then again, we're go down, go down that path. Trust like, path. There's still trust. So, I mean, if you minimize that by saying, well, only lawyers or CPs, people who have like a a professional uh, obligation to do it. Yeah, I'm not saying these people are the gatekeepers of this. I'm saying lawyer and notary like services they're good and they're good but they're good examples because these are people who've taken and swear a professional obligation to like do their job and like be trustworthy so why i think this breaks down a little bit in the modern world is just because again incentives like people are human i said that i'm gonna do x and i took an oath but like hey this is a lot of money like let's cash it out and run type of thing so what if you can't access it like you well now exactly and now so when you go so in that's like your your only service is like hey you're or you try it once and then you your try one to... signature of a two of three yeah uh i lost actually yeah this actually does bring up an interesting situation but that might so and i don't know if it's a two of three situation yeah um and and there's but but more around like if you just if you need that like a, a key signer or someone to even i mean I guess what I'm trying to get at is we could, because of Bitcoin, like I said, you might in in the real world someone might say, "Oh, forget about my oath or something." I'm just going to do this. Now they're prevented, possibly technically, from doing that, but they can also be more incentivized to do what cooperate. Like, cooperate because now you you have a reputation, you have uh, an, an address that you've been using, or you have something like it's you can take advantage of the the functions of, of, of the network. Yeah. So whether it's from keys or even if you think about generating keys, like why, why not have, like if, if, if you want to do it in a secure way and you have someone who, who does that, or again, I think to lawyers and notaries, professionals who attest that this was done in a certain way, like we can trust that. Like we're, we could be skeptical, but like you, you eventually, you need to trust something. So at least like, dude, I have these areas where you could do that. I have this idea for that exact service that you're describing is basically like a hardware wallet they can literally go to where it's made and just like pick it up and just be like hey 
you can come watch the whole process. Like literally a fucking storefront for hardware wallets. Like, hey, you can look at the assembly wa- line. It's behind a glass wall. We'll show you how it's made the whole way. And you can have certainty that the supply chain was not fucked up. I have daydreams about this. I don't know if it's practical, but... I mean, I'd, it'd probably be a mad expensive hard wallet, but it would be cool. Right? It would be it would be great. And you're, again, you're minimizing the amount of trust you need to put in certain things. And some people will find that worth it for sure. But I guess the 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 opportunity in, in a sense is uh, with, with this all of this new stuff that we're talking about, whether it's like, I think lightning is also raises a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting questions just around like, I mean, well, there's, there's a whole bunch, but around like, if you're, if you're running a node, like, are you, or, or even if you're opening up payment channel, like people will go like, are you money transmitter? Do you have this? And it's like, those are valid questions, but it doesn't matter because we can, you can start to design how everything works without like from first principles. We don't care how payments work today because this is fundamentally different. So who cares if your money transmitter or not? If there's no risk that you're going to lose your funds, like why why would you even care if this person is 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 licensed for something? You you don't need one because they can't do anything to you type of thing. Right. So and again, it's like people don't again they don't know that the I don't want to say they don't know that these options exist, but they they don't understand these options are different maybe or are different in the way. Or even, I guess, maybe maybe necessary because we're what we're talking about now and how I guess Lightning as a payment network is fundamentally different from from the way payment networks work today. I mean, Bitcoin is different from the way payment networks work today, but I guess a better analogy would be to Lightning. But try talking to somebody about how you could make a, like a more efficient like uh, payments. Like I, what's more efficient than Venmo or like? Sending of money and and messages and stuff like Cash App's way more efficient. It is. I I've been try- I I love Cash App. I like I got my card etched. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. People are like, whoa, what, like what card is that? I'm like, I got this for free. It's my black card, baby. <laughs> yeah, my black boost card. But nobody nobody uses it. My old roommates all send me Venmo. I was like, guys, switch to Cash App. And they're just like, well, why? <laughs> I forgot about the other apps. We're all yeah. Cash App now. I mean, cool. We can. I we use can the boost. Pro- I legit use the boost program every day. Whether uh, it's at the coffee shop or. I haven't saved a lot doing that, but I've 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 saved something. Yeah, um, a little bit of money. At least you know you're saving. Yep. Uh, this wasn't planned to talk about this app, by the way. I just no, it wasn't. I use it. And they're not. I don't know if you have to do that, but no, they're not currently sponsoring the pod. Oh, that was damn. All that right, was a free well. shill. <laughs> that was a free shill. Damn. Um, um, but yeah, like from a payments perspective, again, it takes you need to make that leap of saying like we should reinvent this type of stuff because again, I think for most people at least in, in US North America like it's everything is relatively convenient if you accept the premise that like you're okay with the money you're using like payments i think a lot of the fintechs have done a good job improving the payment experience um so i think the opportunity for lightning is to completely from the infrastructure perspective like completely flip everything over because now i mean anyone can be facilitate the the transact these payments not just like use the network you can yeah. be part of it which most people are like what the, again like what are you smoking man like you want to be the part of the payment want? network why don't you just want to use this app like what the fuck do you what do we need to install to do that you're incentivized to participate then so it, it you could earn it, like 10 cents a month routing payments <laughs> that but like it also <laughs> no, I mean, that's not the selling point to do it but the it's getting to a point though where it's going to be obvious 
that is a payment processor, it's going to be dumb not to use this infrastructure if it's fully fleshed out. From yeah. So I think it was just announced yesterday or the day before that MasterCard or Visa is about to raise their like, processing fees like on merchants and stuff like that. Like Lightning Network, if it becomes if it comes fully into fruition of what people envision that it can be as a second layer on Bitcoin where it's the fees are hyper competitive with traditional payment processors, if not make traditional payment processors obsolete because the fees are so low. Yeah. Like it's going to be as a a decision maker, like in the future, you're going to be an idiot not to use it because the cost savings are so much. And then compound that with the, uh, the inability to have chargebacks because it's a push system, not a pull system. And you create a completely different paradigm where it's like, all right, you completely nix the possibility for chargebacks as a merchant and the credit card companies are going to be like, all right, let's make this happen. Yeah. I mean, thinking, thinking down that, that line of that line of thinking of if, if the network matures into, into the way that people are envisioning it. I mean, now first, I guess, in any anyone can kind of be that the role of a payment processor kind of fundamentally changes. Pierre Richard is the shining example. What he's trying to do with his uh, node launcher. Yes, it's 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 like now you can't not do it. Like can't say no. Just <laughs> the, the barriers are gone. Right. And anyone could do it. And it's like so from an infrastructure perspective, that's the coolest piece because well, it's the coolest piece I think because in this future of payments. There's no multiple credit card networks. Do you accept this card? Do you accept that one? This one has higher fees. This one doesn't. It's just like, no. Like, it's just, there's it's there's Generic a universal. Q- QR you just code. Accept, yeah. You accept cash? Like, yeah, just give it to me. And so I think that's really compelling, but especially because it doesn't mean that payment processors won't participate. If you allocate capital to fund a channel, the more you put, the more you stand to control in terms of the network will control. I mean, the more market share or whatever transaction share the more you have, flow more you have, you the more velocity you have or not velocity. I say velocity, the more volume have come through your channel produces a, a better opportunity for collected fees. Yeah. But now, well, what does that mean as a, as a payment channel then what you're doing as a business and how you're operating and thinking is so different from how it's done today. Like, we can compare fees, but there's like, there's a hidden cost of these payments and shit. Like it's expensive to pay all those people and to run all these networks and to do customer service for lost pins and whatever else. So like that will need to exist some, some degree, but who knows kind of if you have a really efficient way of doing it or you, you, it just, it changes the whole nature of what it is to be in payments, I guess. Well, it's like also hyper competitive to the point where it, it's impossible not to see a scenario in which it drives these payment networks to the the most efficient form that they can be because you get incentivized to basically uh, route payments as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Yeah, because charging more fees is not going to solve your problem. Because people will just... They want speed, they want... Yeah, but I mean, it's not... you, you You will earn... I think more fees through just volume than by just trying to like 
the, the, the model of like, oh, hey, let's pass on the cost to everybody else now because there's, there's just too much fraud or just, no. we're just inefficient. So let's make it like, easier nah. for everybody else. Yeah. It completely flips it. But, but because you don't need to own the infrastructure, it's already much cheaper. And then again, if instead of these three, I mean, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, you probably will have them participating and other banks participating, but because of how many individual people will do it too, like you, you reduce, again, it'll be somewhat centralized. It maybe makes sense to use these certain payment networks, but we're minimizing the level of trust overall that you have in the whole space so that it's like, it's, it's still a fair compromise. So the, the idea of what could become is, is really promising. And that's why like the beating out like Venmo type app, like all of that, like, other side of things has already been figured out in in, in the legacy system. There's mm-hmm. the kind of the the, the I guess UX the piping flows. and the under the under the underpinnings of the network that need to be built out. And if you consider the usability at this stage when you're building like the the infrastructure, the fact that so many I guess there's so much volume on the network now in its in its kind of state, even though it's getting easier to your point to to, to spin up a node and to use it is like yeah, like it's like if people were it's like when people are using credit cards and like you had to like use that paper, like like take Kevin a, McAllister take a scan. Yeah. scan it yeah and like lost it's in like, New York baby it's like that is cumbersome but it was like revolutionary it's like we're like it's like we're probably not even at that stage of this yet right but the yeah it's it's it's, it's just it's very exciting to to think about now having a more tangible way to like create a, a, a new or an alternative financial system kind of starts to make sense Bitcoin you, you get all pumped about it but now it's like well, this is actually practical. This this could become more usable and yeah. And how do Monty? Damn. Eric's cat Monty just hopped over my shoulder, gave me half a heart attack. Um. Yeah. So this is like what I think I wanted to jump into was like. Where is the tipping point at which like people realize like holy shit we don't need to do this anymore like so you're talking about uh, you mentioned the printing press or something earlier uh, like we were at this inflection point where we're just sort of realizing like holy shit like humanity in general has been handed this crazy technology that gives us affords us a crazy ability to be magnitudes of order more productive than we ever have been uh in human history and we just so happen to be born in that inflection point i would argue the internet and bitcoin in tandem are sort of paired together and bitcoin coming a little bit later is sort of helping us realize that holistic view like holy shit like we have this inflection point and we are literally like the pivot and being alive in that pivot like how do you how do we comprehend this and and sort of react accordingly. I mean, sorry for getting cosmic on you. No, it was just just realizing we're really like really at that at that point of knowing enough about the pre-internet and Bitcoin world to appreciate what we have now in in a in a way that I I know older generations don't typically because of I guess just being more far removed from the internet in general. But then now what I think makes me more optimistic about this is the younger generations, um, like digital natives, like people who are probably like 10 years old right now. Like these are, these are, these are kids, especially, I mean, especially in, in, in the Western world, 
this is my experience to speak from like you picture 10 year olds here today like this is a kid who's probably has a good chance of not opening a bank account not wanting to or needing to which is pretty fucking cool but then what does that impact a person who's like yeah well i don't obviously i don't want a bank account like it's inconvenient to deal with look at all this other stuff like that's that's pretty interesting and then also imagine being like I mean, I don't know, I'm a new, I guess as a Canadian, we kind of know a bit about American politics, but like, don't really care. <laughs> but like, as a... I don't care either. Yeah. And not to get into politics in any stretch, but as a 10 or 12 year old now and seeing like, <laughs> seeing what's seeing what's going on in the US is kind of like, it's got to make you stop and be like, what like the fuck when I was doing? 10 years old, like that shit was on the Simpsons. Now it is actually happening. Right. So like this confluence of things for younger generation, I think is, is that might be the tipping point because we get it out of effort and, and interest and like in spite of surviving comfortably without really needing to know about Bitcoin, maybe shit's not going to hit the fan to the degree where it's like people will forcibly be like, yeah, we need to get this. But I think that if we've made this mental leap to understanding and kind of going like going down this Bitcoin rabbit hole, I think that's like the generation that's primed to beat us there in terms of comprehending it and kind of taking us to another level about it because they have the, I guess, the benefit of not knowing what it was like to deal with what we've all had to deal with growing up in, I guess, financially and just otherwise in the world. So I think that might be the, the tipping point, man. I find it hard not to agree with that. And again, I don't want to get political here, but like, I have been so turned off by the, particularly here in the United States political system. Like I can't take the fucking constant churn of election cycles, election cycles. The fact that we're already fucking talking about the 2020 election makes me want to shoot my dick off. Fuck. Like it never ends. And it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to tune out. What I find especially interesting is that's like, that's a common, I guess, American complaint around just there's between I think the four year cycle of presidential elections and then whatever the, there's the other multitude well, there, of other elections that are going on in between that there's a lot it's every two years you have uh, like a major election cycle it's like I don't even want to pay attention to this and it's like, like so like it's, it's non-stop really it's non-stop and then nothing ever changes you go from Democrat to Republican Democrat to Republican 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 Democrat Democrat Republican Democrat Republican does it really does it make a nothing Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, but, but people find ways to fucking bicker, and nothing ever changes. And I, me personally, I'm at a point where I, that's another driving force of my Bitcoin sort of journey is like, I honestly like this is a fucking alternative that if we build it correctly, can fucking make this shit obsolete. We can yeah. stop fucking bickering like a bunch of bitches. Put energy like, into anything on. more productive. No, that's it's well said, man. There's that's that's the crazy thing about the U.S. There's like just this politics are everywhere. You, you, especially I don't know. I moved here in October of uh, 2016, so it's like this, all, this is the only America. I've Welcome known. to America, bro. But like in Canada, my gripes are around well the way that we don't the two party system here, whatever. In Canada, there's like three larger parties and like. The prime minister, they will win the election with like 32% of the vote. Like more than 60% of the country did not vote for that person. But because of the electoral system there, it's like, well, they're, they have a, they have a minority. They can't do shit, but they're still in charge type of thing. Like, mm. so that's like in the U S different problem, same type of shit. So for me, it's just like, 
oh, like it's just so much, such a better way to to probably spend time than <laughs> right because it, it's it's apathy. I think I don't care anymore because exactly dude. unless it's like that's I'm, my biggest worry for Bitcoin is apathy. Yeah, but apathy from politics could be beneficial. It could be a, a boon for Bitcoin. People just realizing like, well, this is a more productive way to actually do something. Well, it becomes a slippery slope when that apathy can turn into nihilism because, right? But that's why I'm grateful for uh, Donald Trump because instead of feeling nihilistic about the like futility of the system, it's like this guy is the like walking example of like why everyone that talks shit about like government in general is right. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> right? It's like, he, it's like, and again, I say this as a Canadian because if I lived here, I would be much more like distraught about it but at the end of the day it's like I'm pretty distraught it's about it all of it it's like it's all i've been saying like you're outraged like yeah like the whole like the whole thing is kind of a joke right he's just the is the, the big punchline that that now people are starting to like oh shit maybe the system is broken like right but <laughs> it goes back to the theme of like it worries me that we're becoming too disconnected from reality we're like again that apathy can turn into nihilism it's like well like we pretend like the blue team versus the red team matters and we debate about it election after election every four or two years, whichever you want to measure it on and nothing ever fucking changes. Like, Oh shit. Like nothing matters. Like now I'm nihilistic Arby's like come on down, <laughs> eat some meat and die in your car. Like, yeah. No, that's uh... it fucking worries me though. And like, and I do think like we have something to strive for is like, humans i don't know i think we've been handed a special opportunity as the species that we are specifically we can fucking think and fucking and 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 that's my biggest fear is nobody fucking thinks for themselves no no sadly sadly not we've been given this opportunity to. there's too many other there's too many other things to do next to monty the cat monty can think but he can't communicate that to us no if only if only he could i'm sure he'd say some fucking dope shit but like probably we're handed this opportunity. I'm try- I'm getting very cosmic here. I've drank a lot Just of your bullet down, bourbon. Looking down on us. Stupid, yeah. stupid humans. But like, I don't know, man. But that's, again, this this is all kind of why I'm still optimistic about this kind of, this like tipping point that we're talking about Bitcoin because I think, and and your fear of apathy is, is well warranted. But we're also kind of again grown and tired of this. Like it's, it's this, like you said, like this cycle politically and just kind of in society, well, like there's just this repetitive cycle around politics, and it's becoming more divisive. I feel like, again, we know what it. We, I vaguely remember, but kind of know what it's like for everything not to be hyper politicized, and maybe it kind of goes hand in hand with technology, internet, social media. Like I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know the causes of these things, but I know what it was like before. And people growing into this that don't have to hope that like. This isn't to like the standard for them. Like, oh yeah, this is what this is what everything is like. Like, hopefully, it gets better. Like, I have to feel like there might be some more renewed energy of like, this it's is really fucking, fucking crazy. Changes. Like, we got to do something. Anything's better than this. So, cautiously optimistic, but I, 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 I get that sense that like, if this if Bitcoin made sense to to us and people who are currently in some way contributing to it, being involved in, in this giant thing, like it only makes more sense now. Like imagine never hearing about Bitcoin and learning about it tomorrow. Like right. if this is where your starting point is. It's like you have a, you have history to look back. Like, it's not just like learn about what this is. You have Shooting history. In the dark, like, you like... could spend years reading about and talking to people with the shit that's gone on in this space since the beginning of time. 
So you have a bunch of like context to get into and they have this fresh mind of like, yeah, you have more distrust for banks, financial institutions, governments. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's like the, um, like, uh, gunpowder. Very ripe. It's like very, yeah. Yeah. I agree. At least that's the best, that's the best hope. That's what I'm thinking. I'm all jacked up now. Spending all this time trying to convince baby boomers to invest their retirement savings in bitcoins. Like, no, like let's get, Let's get let's get kids. Let's get kids fucking fighting for Satoshi's on Fortnite. Yeah. Right. Damn. Not a bad idea. Right. As long as they could buy some skins or something with it. Exactly. Or f- even fight no, for. No, but it. you need a you need a non fungible token um, <laughs> to represent that asset in your video game. Otherwise, you need you could an, copy it. You need an NFT, <laughs> Monty. <laughs> right. <sighs> I think we're close to so video games. Video games are probably a good on-ramp just nope. to seeing like, holy shit, like I could get, I could actually do this. That was the episode I dropped today with uh, Andre Neves from Qual Studio. Like the simple act of creating like a chess game where you can fucking bet against the person you're playing anonymously online. Like, I mean, online gambling has been taboo in the U.S. more recently, but was it ever like, did you, were you ever, uh, did you ever play like poker or anything online? Luckily, never became a gambler in any form. Sports gambling, card gambling. I mean, I played I played poker before with friends in person, but never online. I've yeah. actually won a couple. That's uh, more fun. I've won a couple Texas Texas Hold'em games. I probably play, played ten games. Probably won twice. I don't know if that's good record. For Not poker, a very good poker players. Yeah. <laughs> oh, me neither. But playing playing online poker is always fun it was just a, a huge pain in the ass <laughs> i never got <laughs> to into try it. And do that i never got into it like so i hear online poker is like a huge like well, i mean you got you people to train playing with for like it. six windows open and probably using all kinds of like not cheat codes but people are good at math <laughs> yeah um but i mean like i don't know i think i think it was fun and not not certainly a way to make a living but when you when you add that element of financial gain to a game that you're playing, which is it's kind of how I always viewed gambling, was like, oh, I could finally play a game, but like, it's not for like some tokens or some like like points or something. You could play it. It's just always card games. There's not many now. You can do that. I mean, now you can kind of wager on games, and there's there's it's becoming more of a seamless experience. So I think that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. Fun. And I again, I'm excited. Like I I've said this many times in the last couple of weeks. Like I think the. Uh, sort of collision of gaming and Bitcoin, specifically Bitcoin and Lightning Network and Satoshi's in particular is just like natural and inevitable at this point. Uh, imagine being able to trade your V-Bucks for Satoshi's and just make V-Bucks obsolete and just earn Satoshi's. Like, just makes sense to me. I think so. And even if you have to kind of work your way there, earning Satoshi's, playing any game and just being able to buy shit with it or take it out would be great too. Right. Like... But that's the thing. Video game companies don't want competition to their shitty tokens either. <laughs> what if they become big routers and they're able to get yeah. revenue that way? I mean, that that kind of goes that kind of goes back to what I was saying before, though, is that I think Bitcoin has so many use cases in these other areas, but people kind of are just like, no, 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 we've got to have our own token or something in there to make it work. And it's like, you don't like if no, you, not if really. You provide efficiencies in some areas of the system. You can benefit and. Yeah, participate like what, what in, if video game companies didn't have to create these tokens and manage them? Whatever, just like, hey, spend your money here. We yeah. don't care. We're not going to pay like crazy credit card fees and put your, put your credit card number in when you're playing PlayStation is fucking exactly. annoying. Exactly. Imagine like the amount of money that will be 
transacted just because it's easier to do it. Probably a lot. I hope I don't want him to <laughs> to to break any of your stuff here. No, he's fine. I just need to open this laptop to make sure. There we go. Cool. Um, we're an hour forty eight minutes in. I've drank half your bottle of bullet bourbon. I'm pretty hammered right now. It's been an incredible conversation. Yeah, I'm glad uh I don't usually have my conversations recorded when I'm hanging out, but this is this is cool. This has been fun. We always have great conversations. I've got one last question for you. So it goes. Yeah. It's on your left arm, your left forearm. What does it mean? Uh it was a convenient size of a phrase to put on my arm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's from it's from the it's from the book Slaughterhouse Five. Mm-hmm. Um, Never read it. It's like a World War Two sci-fi book. Okay. Interesting. But uh, basically, anytime someone dies in the book, it just writes at the end of chapter, so it goes. Uh, I thought it was a funny way to kind of morbid way to to, to have a reaction to that. Um, and kind of highlighted, I think, at least in the story, just the, the futility of really like getting worked up about that type of stuff. I so love that. if you had to get a tattoo, it's always going to be sitting there reminding you. It's kind of like, well, eh. So it goes. So it goes. Kind of the, the shruggy, shruggy emoji guy. I love it. In a, in a tattoo. You only have one life, right? Fucking. That would have, oh man, that, that, I think that acronym is well into a tattoo. Also. <sighs> but I think that's what drives me towards Bitcoin is like. We were talking about like the younger generation get into it and we were talking about our generation earlier and I do like going back to that inflection point we were born at we're like literally the bridge between fucking the age before AOL, AOL and like the internet as we know it now. Yeah, like, like we have a lot of shit to feel hold about. Right. Whereas that used to be like a wow or cutting cutting edge, you know? Yeah. So uh, the bar's been set higher for what it is to be like a like a an old like have old like just like the old school view on things. Yeah, and this like but like this is like making me think of like the conversations I've been having more recently about how fast or slow Bitcoin adoption will happen. And I think more recently it's been trending towards people like, ah, it's gonna happen slower than you would imagine. But after this conversation and thinking about uh the potential users coming up from uh under us in a demographic perspective is like, holy shit, maybe these these people will surprise us uh, from an adoption standpoint. And I mean, if it's easier for them to adopt, which it already is, then that's a good starting point. Yeah. I don't know numbers around how many young people <laughs> there are in, 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 in the world, really, but I'd assume there's at least as many as, as us, probably around that. But I guess what it comes down to is that at the pace of which it will grow is going to depend what, like, what you what what did it, what you can do with it or how much of like how integral of part of your life it would become and that it could happen like that like it could be it could be just in an instant where suddenly well again you think of younger people bank accounts whatever political leanings but also jobs like i don't know what was your first job hot dog stand baby yeah we're actually delivering papers on the beach but then First real job, right? Made some real cash. Was able to buy gum with it and other stuff. Hot dog stand. Yeah. I, I, I worked at McDonald's. Yeah. And it's like, you get your first job, you start to make some money and do stuff. Like, I feel like that experience is probably different for younger people now, too, because, I mean, I, I think that most most of these jobs that we had are being automated or... You can contract really out... Them. Well, one of the best uh, hardware wallet hackers is a fucking... He started hacking these wallets when he was 14. Um, 
Oh, God, I'm sorry. I forget his name. One of you freaks who remembers his name, please mention it in the comments after we put this on Twitter. But the kid's literally 15 years old and has hacked the ledger and the treasure, like new editions, like every time they've come out. That's amazing. And nobody, nobody knew he was as young as he was until he basically made people aware, like, hey, I'm like... It's a an, further shame. I'm like a 15-year-old anon <laughs> hacking all your shit. Like that's wild. Look at the tools he has at his disposal now. Like it's right. So that's 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 what I'm saying. Like these these. I mean, I think back to my first job. I was so happy to get it. I was like, I could buy maybe a laptop later. It was great. But now again, just I think about the gig economy, the way that kind of these entry level jobs are. Like a, you might not really want to do that, and you may also be incentivized not to work that type of job by like finding another way to make money. Right, and if there are and there become increasingly like easier more ways to just either earn Bitcoin because you you actually want to, which I mean, I think it's it's a great way if you're doing any type of any type of service, just accept it as payment. You don't only have to accept it, but just take some. You could, like why not? But that could become more prevalent. That's um, what I do with. So I still. You're not, you don't need to get a job. It's like hey, you can. I'm still a wage pay. cock. I still have a nine to five job. I I work for a salary. Uh, and I, I still do like, uh, bi-weekly buys when I get paid, like I'll buy a little Bitcoin, but to supplement like more recently, like I've been selling podcasts and newsletter ads and say, Hey, I'll accept this revenue for Bitcoin and just hodl it. And there you go. It's been a great way to accumulate and it's honestly brought like a peace of mind and like, I don't have to like worry about buying Bitcoin, like just being able to be like, Hey. You kind of just you, you earn it, you get it when you can. But again, you're trading something that's still quite valuable for it, which is your time. Yeah, exactly. But you you want to because you want some, and I think that's that's where that's where we'll hopefully end up with again, uh, as more people learn about it. Now it's again more slightly, well not slightly. It's 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 always becoming more useful, more that you could do with it. There's more ways to contribute than ever. So I don't know. I mean, maybe if there's even slightly more. In the younger generations, people who get more involved earlier, it will already have, a, I think, a pretty big impact. And again, it's just, it's an, it's people are just opting into this. Like people just, it's just eventually they're drawn to it for one of many reasons. And people are way more tech savvy now than they were like generally. So I, right. I just, I'm optimistic about, not that we're gonna gain this mass adoption. And I when I say we. I'm talking about this this entire kind of community and experiment, but maybe mass adoption isn't the best thing now or ever. Better to have that kind of group of people who believe in kind of why they're they're participating in this and just do it because it makes sense. Tired of people just being like, "Hey, man, like, when do you think price is gonna go up to this?" Oh my like, god, I don't fucking know. <laughs> right? Don't don't like go and buy go and buy a Ripple or something like right? go, like that's not. Speculation is great. It's part of why the the ecosystem of cryptocurrencies are so big and Bitcoin is super liquid for that. But like, I mean, that's not, unless you're trading as a trader, which you could do in any field, like that's not the point. Like, Think it's, bigger. Think bigger. Exactly. Everything, if everything you believe about Bitcoin becomes true, then like, fuck yeah, it's probably going to be worth a lot more than it is today. But there's a lot of ifs there. And you're not rationalizing a huge valuation it's like there's it's going to take work and it might not happen but and that's kind of pe people that see it or see it differently or want to get there is like that's that's i would take like 
thousand people that are contributing like that than to get like a hundred thousand people who are like, oh, like my money's still stuck. It's gonna I, go. I wanna just, when can I trade my Bitcoin for this? Or like, well, that's what's a what's a paper wallet? That's another thing. And the beauty of Bitcoin is like, it really instills this if not me, then who mentality. And like, if you want to make Bitcoin a thing, you can. Like, I would argue we have tried to. Like, I obviously do with this podcast. Every, and like every single day. Every, every like, single day you're, you're out there and people, I mean, how do you get, well, you I'm must not, get a lot of cool fan mail and stuff. Like, how many people, like, this would be a fascinating introduction to Bitcoin, listening to your podcast. <sighs> I feel bad for the people I get introduced to <laughs> Bitcoin via me. Um, I don't know. Like, I just like feel like the average Joe trying to explain this as I'm learning it and but like that, and that's why I want to have this conversation with you. That's why I fucking forced this podcast on you, <laughs> is because I think you have such an incredible perspective and the mindset from which you approach building bills and and then leaving bills and sort of approaching the other side of the Bitcoin or excuse me, the blockchain, not Bitcoin mentality, like fascinates me because you sort of like have a holistic view of. Bitcoin, the philosophy, how uh, corporations approach it, how designers approach it, how practical entrepreneurs approach it from your own view. And I feel like five, six years after you first started Bill, you're you're sort of coming into your own and like, all right, now I got to lay the landscape. Starting to make a bit more sense. Yeah, exactly. I think... I think that's I think that's spot on, and it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of something actually uh, a mentor of mine, someone I've looked up to a lot uh, professionally over the years, who actually kind of helped me get more involved in, in Bitcoin. Monty. Hey man. <laughs> <laughs> he's um. He's very talkative sometimes. Yeah. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be alone. Eric's cat Monty is. Probably the prettiest cat I've ever seen in my life. Give me a sec. Get him. Sorry, he's, uh, he's not going to stop. 158.28. I'm going to go pee real quick. we got plenty of time. Yeah, awesome. I just, yeah, he, he, uh... Uh, what you were saying reminded me of, uh, of, uh, of something one of my mentors had, had, had explained to me, uh, about his his journey into Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, I, I got I, I got my opportunity to uh, to work in in New York, do kind of like blockchain type of stuff uh, through coworker uh, from New York at the time who had seen uh, a talk that I had done about Bitcoin and was like, hey, like, we should put together some training material and stuff and like talk to people about this at, at the firm. This is a TEDx talk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did that one in. Uh, at some point in 2015. Um, so that was a fun experience. And so he saw this, this guy that I worked with in New York and was like, Hey, like saw your video. Like we should, we should chat and like put some stuff together. So that was the start of like my side projects and stuff at the, at, at, at my firm and, and trying to get more involved. And we just basically put together Bitcoin trainings and stuff. Um, and so recently uh, he was, he was explaining his journey through, I think just different, blockchains or other projects and basically says kind of like sleeping in someone's house that you've never met before and trying to find your way to the bathroom in the dark kind of stumble around the room and like knock into <laughs> a bunch of shit like you make it there eventually 
um, but you kind of hurt yourself a bit and got lost along the way. And that's kind of I love this. Kind of, kind of how, kind of how it kind of feel and have evolved related to Bitcoin. The way you describe it is kind of that. Like you learn by doing things that you realize eventually are like wrong or don't make any sense to kind of come back full circle and realize like, okay, yeah, like <laughs> this is what I thought this it was. And I, I, you have more of that appreciation when you realize like, okay, yeah, those are all of the other opportunities or ways that didn't really make sense. Uh, right. Eric, it's been an incredible conversation. Yeah, man. I'm Thanks glad for that, doing uh, this. I'm glad, sorry I'm glad that, uh, glad that you showed up with your podcast gear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I did this to you. I feel like I needed to, though. Like, I honestly, like, I said this after the first time we met. I was like, we need to sit down and talk. Like, I mean, if not, our, our this 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 may have either never happened or happened so far into the future that God knows what we'd be talking about. Right. So, no, I'm glad to... Glad that you came by. This has been fun. Maybe I'll get a maybe I'll get a few more followers on Twitter today. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want that, Eric. They're all haters. I mean, I'm kidding. At least I don't have to pay for them. That's true. Yeah, paying for paying for followers, pretty weak. Yeah, I mean, I've never done that before, clearly, but I'm just saying. No, I don't have to. Yeah. Although that's probably another market that could be facilitated through Bitcoin. It's, it's so obvious though, like when you buy followers, like yeah, or the you engagement just follower isn't accounts there. drop like by millions. Or, I don't know that, and then like somebody with like twenty five thousand followers <laughs> gets like a like and maybe a retweet, like on most of their tweets. It's like, ah, do you really have twenty five thousand followers? I mean, does it really matter? No, it doesn't matter at all. Be Pens- your own, be your own Pens- freak, Pens- freaks. That's the advice tonight. I'm uh, I'm semi blackout right now. Uh, I want to thank our gracious guest Eric Spano for coming on. You freaks don't know it, but he was the founder of one of the most integral uh, Bitcoin companies that's alive, still alive today. I would argue. Uh, started from a need to explain Bitcoin and turn into an integral part of... Actually helping people. Actually helping people in Bitcoin in Canada in particular. Eric, I'm happy to to introduce you to to the Tales from the Crypt universe. Well, thank you again for having me. This has been fun. Well, thanks for coming on. Monty, it's been chill hanging with you too. That's the cat. Peace and love, <laughs> freaks. <laughs>